Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Anchor Church Online. Welcome to our current series called Finding Faith. We are really near the end of this series now. Next week, we have Professor David Block, world-renowned astronomer, who's going to be talking to us from the subject of his latest book called God and Galileo. Uh, Professor Block has spent his life studying the universe, the stars, um, and, uh, and is an avid believer in the Creator. Um, and so we are really looking forward to hearing from him. Don't miss that next Sunday. And the week after that, we'll have a Q&A where all the questions that you have sent in, um, we will look at as many of them as we can. So don't forget to send any questions relating to anything that we've discussed in this series. Don't forget to send them in. You can send them to info at anchorjoburg.org. You can put them in the comments section right now. And uh, we would love to be able to answer some of those questions and have some of those conversations in two weeks time. And so this is the last uh, official message that I will be sharing in this series before Professor Block and then our Q&A. Um, and so today I want to talk to you about doubt. I want to talk to you about the benefit of doubt because a lot of this has been a discussion about faith. And people wonder, can I have faith if I still have some doubt? I remember my brother who has quite an analytical brain um, kind of you know, going through this at some point as he was growing up, as he was uh, kind of entering that young adult phase where he was saying, can I truly call myself a Christian if I sometimes doubt God or doubt how he operates in my life? And, and so this is a conversation that started uh, from that point. And, um, and, and, you know, we have, we've, we've spoken about objections that people raise when we're sharing our faith objections that they have to the claim of religion and faith and belief. But the truth is, is that many times these objections arise in our own hearts. As we're even sharing our faith, sometimes the objections arise. And today I want to talk about that. What do we do when we experience doubt in our own hearts? As Christians, what do we do when we have doubt, when we doubt the reality of God? How do we deal with those moments when God feels far away? Can we be honest about our doubt? Dan Baker, who was a pastor turned atheist, once said, In their most inner thoughts, even the most devout Christians know that there is something illegitimate about belief. Underneath their profession of faith is a sleeping giant of doubt. In my experience, the best way to conquer doubt is to yield to it. Is that true? Is the best way to conquer doubt just to give up on faith and to live in doubt? There's often this thought amongst Christians that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a believer, in order to be a follower of Jesus, that you have to have everything figured out. You have to have all of your theology nailed down. Otherwise, you can't truly be a Christian. And so some people say, because I still have some doubt, I'll hold off before I truly commit to believing in God. But once all my questions are answered, then I'll be able to uh, you know, to put my faith in God. But is that still faith? If you have all your questions answered, would you need faith? People think that to be a Christian means that you're just kind of bright-eyed and 
bushy-tailed, you know, you're carrying around your big brown Bible, everything's always perfect, that you have no struggles, no doubts, no problems, no conflict in your own heart. And so, you know, when, when we approach Christianity this way and people do admit doubt or do admit problems, then sometimes they're judged by other Christians. People don't find the freedom, therefore, to be honest about their doubts. But we want our journey with Jesus and with one another to be something authentic, a place where people can talk about their doubts and be encouraged in their faith. The objection that we want to talk about today is when people say, I still have doubt, so I can't be a Christian. What we're going to do in today's message is look at some of the root causes of doubt. Where does doubt come from? I hope we can be honest uh, with ourselves today. If you're somebody that experiences doubt, then I hope that we can be honest about the source of that doubt, discussing what's really happening in our hearts, and then we'll move on to discuss what faith is and what it isn't, and conclude on a few points on how you can deal with doubt in your life. Let's start by looking at some of the common roots of doubt. People claim intellectual reasons for their doubt. They say, well, I am a believer in science and some of the hypotheses that have been put forward within science are a better explanation. And so until I can see how the Bible lines up with science, I won't put my faith in God or believe in Jesus. And so they claim intellectual reasons as the reason for their doubt. But the truth is, is that this is actually in most cases, I would say 99% of cases, just a smokescreen for the real reason why they don't want to believe. This is, reminds me of when I was in grade one and one of my best friends in grade one would never do his homework. I have no idea why he wouldn't just go home and do his homework. But every day when he arrived at school, he would be nervous about the fact that he hadn't done his homework. And so when the teacher said, okay, everybody put your homework books on your tables. I'm going to come and check your work. Immediately he would put up his hand and he would ask the teacher if he could go to the bathroom and he would, ex he would spend extended periods of time in the bathroom hoping that the homework would all be checked by the time he came back and he wouldn't be found out. And in that same way, people often claim, oh, I have intellectual reasons. Oh, I have a reason to leave the conversation when the, real, when the only reason why they're doing that is because they don't want the true source of their doubt to be known. The real reasons for our doubt are often a lot more painful, a lot more deep-seated, and can even throw us into a sense of turmoil. People have different reasons for doubt. One study, for example, showed that most of history's most famous atheists, including Bertrand Russell, Jean-Paul Sartre, Friedrich Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, and Karl Marx, all either had strained relationships with their father or a dad who died early or were abandoned by their family at a young age. And so it was difficult for these people to digest and believe in the concept of a loving father, to accept that was difficult for them. And, and so a lot of people in our world today that have grown up in broken homes, broken families, absent fathers and you know, even absent mothers, the same can be true for a mother, um, experience this difficulty to believe in the story of a loving father. Madeleine Murray O'Hare, 
who was an author, an atheist, and was instrument, instrumental in getting prayer banned in schools in the US. After her death, they found her personal journal and page after page after page, she had written the words, somebody, somewhere, love me. And this is where we begin to touch on the deeper reasons for our doubt. If we don't experience that love, especially in our broken world today, it makes it difficult for people to accept the idea of a loving father. I remember hearing the story of a pastor in Indonesia and how they had a young man come into their church and he told the story of how he struggled to believe in God because of what happened to him growing up. What happened to him was that at a time in his upbringing, he stole a pig from his father's farm and sold the pig and used the money with his friends to buy some things that they wanted, mostly sweets. And so when his father found out that he had stolen a pig from the farm, his dad punished him severely, even tied him to a tree and uh, beat him for what he had done. And this was kind of, uh, you know, how he was raised with this severe discipline that he received from his father. And so coming into this church, um, you know, and hearing the message of a loving God, it took months for him to hear that message before he could truly receive it because of what he had experienced growing up. Another deep-seated reason why people reject the claim of a loving God or reject the message of Jesus is because of Christian legalism, where people are often not even really rebelling against Jesus, but against the legalistic system of religion that many churches are built upon and many share as the message this not being the message of Jesus or the message of the cross or the message of the gospel um, but strict parents and strict churches has have often caused people to rebel uh, as as rules are emphasized over love and over the truth of God's love for us essentially this is what legalism says it says if you don't meet the standard then you're lost. But nobody can meet the standard, especially you. And so people uh, feel that they're not good enough for Jesus. In fact, many times people don't come to church because they want to be honest. And they say, I know I'm not good enough. I know my life isn't right. And so I don't feel like I am the kind of person that can go to church because I know I cannot keep that moral code. And, and this is a tragedy in my view. Because the message of Christianity isn't, you know, following a moral code. It's the proclamation of a God that makes us right with himself, even though we don't measure up. A God who saved us by his grace and his love, not because of our goodness. But many people feel that Christianity is simply too much pressure to perform. For some people, it might be disappointment with God. If you had put your faith in God for something that was important to you and it didn't work out, you got hurt or you suffered some tragedy in life, then many times we feel, why would God allow me to go through that? And that hurt, that disappointment keeps them from serving God. For some, it may be personal wounds, personal hurts, fear of rejection or other kinds of things like these, family wounds or 
things that had happened as they were growing up. Sometimes it's simply the season of life. In one season, faith might seem easy. It might seem easy to believe. But in another season, as things might get busy or it might be a difficult time or you might be facing different circumstances than you were before, you can feel like it's a struggle to connect with God. Then we all have a rebellious nature as well. You know, the idea that I won't let anyone run my life or tell me how to live my life. You know, it's my life and I won't submit to anybody else, especially not a God who wants to tell me what to do. It's a, a misunderstanding of the relationship that God wants for us. But we rebel against God. Sometimes people even rebel against God in a protest against their parents, against what they were raised um, in um, as they were growing up. Sometimes people have doubt because they compare their journey to the journey of others. I've heard many Christians struggle with this. They hear the testimonies, the great stories of what God has done for other people. And then they look at their own lives and they, they think to themselves, well, God has done it for everybody else. Why won't he do it for me? What's wrong with me? You know, some people have said to me, I don't really get emotional in worship. I look at those around me raising their hands, crying, you know, experiencing the presence of God, but I don't feel that. So I must be a pretty poor Christian. There's also a, a fear of commitment in our world. People in our generation especially feel that commitment is limiting. It's why marriage and the idea of marriage has taken such a backseat in our in our world and, and it's taken a knock because people want options. You know, our world exists in options. In the old days, you might have two or three channels on the television. Today, having one streaming service with hundreds of shows is not enough. We need multiple streaming services so that we can have endless options. And so we want that. We want choices. We, we don't want the limitation of commitment. And so we see Christianity as restrictive. You've also got differing personalities. You've got to remember that we are individuals and we all receive and respond in relationships differently. And so people respond to God differently. Some people in worship feel moved to run around and to shout and to raise their hands and to make a noise. Others will just sit quietly and, and, and try to hear God's voice. Neither of those two is more spiritual than the other. Some personalities are by nature more melancholic or analytical. And it's more natural for people like this to doubt or preempt objections or loopholes or arguments. And so, and so they would naturally be more conflicted in their faith. So when we share our faith with people, we have to be cognizant of this fact that people are different. And so even when some raise their intellectual reasons for doubt, well, I don't believe in God because I think that this theory within science explains this better. We must be wise enough to read between the lines, to see the hurt that people have experienced and to be able to minister to them at that level. We're not here to win arguments. We're here to win people. Let's look at what faith isn't. It's important for us to understand what faith isn't 
so that we can hold fast to what it really is and so that we wouldn't fall into doubt thinking that you know what we what we're experiencing is a lack of faith first of all faith is not feelings some equate faith to perpetual religious highs you know they get saved and they feel so excited and you know they're pumped about life and then slowly you know it feels like the effect wears off and they say well I used to have faith and I I used to be excited about God but I just don't feel that way anymore and so they start doubting whether they ever were saved they start doubting whether it was genuine whether it was authentic but our faith even though it does involve emotions the bible says we must love the lord our god with all our heart and mind and soul and everything within us and so and so it does involve we do serve god from a place of emotion emotions are still not the foundation of our faith and we know that feelings can be fickle you can feel one way right now and literally a minute later feel the complete opposite way and so even though our faith involves feelings feelings are not the foundation of our faith i remember hearing of a counseling case where a guy went to a pastor and said to him i don't like my wife anymore and the pastor's advice was go home and love her the guy responded saying you don't understand you know i don't have feelings for her anymore and the pastor said i didn't ask you how you felt I told you to go home and to love her. And this guy responded by saying that would be emotionally dishonest of me to treat my wife that way when I don't feel it. And the pastor asked this guy, "Does your mother love you?" And he said, "Yes, of course, my mother loves me." He says, "Well, about 6 weeks after your birth, when you were screaming, when your mom constantly had to change your diapers, when she was tired and cold and had to clean up after you and feed you do you think she was having fun the guy responded by saying no i don't think it was a lot of fun and the pastor said well then your mother was being emotionally dishonest as she raised you you see love is not measured in feelings but the willingness to to do what we have committed to do even when we don't feel like it we see this even with Jesus in the garden of gethsemane when he said father not my will but your will be done it's a willingness it's a choice to believe even when we don't feel it not everything that god calls us to do is always fun it doesn't always feel good sometimes it's hard sometimes it's difficult sometimes it's challenging forgiving someone that has wronged you for example is never easy serving a church can be draining loving others can be really difficult but we do it because we've made a choice to be committed a choice to love and a choice to believe so faith is not an emotion it's a choice and a commitment faith is also not number 2 the absence of doubt abraham we know in the bible was the father of faith and we see how he regularly doubted in fact in genesis when god made a promise to abraham that he would have a son at one point god shows up to abraham and says abraham i am your shield your exceedingly great reward and abraham responds by saying oh god what will you give me 
and says, look at my house. I have no son. I have no heir. What will you give me? So he struggled with faith. He struggled to believe because he didn't, he hadn't seen the promise fulfilled. It wasn't that Abraham never doubted that made him the father of faith. It wasn't that he always did what was right. We know he often failed. It wasn't that his motives were always pure. We see him failing on all three counts, accounts regularly. But by grace, he was never willing to give up his will to believe or follow God. Even when he doubted, even when his situation seemed contrary to hope, the Bible says in hope he still chose to believe. And this is what made him the father of faith. Faith is the willingness to believe even when you have doubt. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is, in fact, certainty. When you're certain about something, you don't need faith. But we choose to believe in our moments of doubt, we can still make the choice to believe. So faith is not the absence of doubt. Number three, faith is not complete knowledge. It doesn't mean that you know everything or have a complete knowledge about God. That would be impossible for us. Hands up right now. And, and you know, we're not together physically, but where you're at right now watching on any of our streaming services, why don't you go ahead and just put a hand up in the comment section right now if you believe that I have a two rand coin in my pocket. Right, I'm telling you I have a two rand coin in my pocket. If you believe that what I'm saying is true, just go ahead right now. I'll give, you, I'll give you a second and put your hand up in the comment section. Right, those hands I'm assuming are rolling in right now. Now watch as I completely destroy your faith. Here is a two rand coin that I had in my pocket. Why have I destroyed your faith? Because you had to previously believe that there was a coin in my pocket. You hadn't seen it. But now that you've seen it, now that you have absolute certainty, you no longer have faith because it's now something different. And so we could say, why does God not just show up and show himself in all certainty to everyone so that everyone can believe? well, then it would no longer be faith. And if there was no room for faith, then we would not be able to receive grace. When God does show up, that would be the end of faith and the beginning of certainty. Without faith, there's no grace. And so it's not complete knowledge. Faith is not complete knowledge, but we have enough. We've, you know, God has said enough and done enough for us to still take that step of faith. Let's end today by talking about how you can overcome doubt in your life. If you are struggling with doubt, here are a few things that you can do. Number one, determine the roots of your unbelief, which is what we've spoken about. Be honest with yourself. Take a look at what you believe and ask yourself, is it because I've had bad experiences? Is it because of my personality? Is it because of influence that I've had in my life? Decide whether you really do want to believe. Probably the main reason why people don't believe is because they don't want to. 
I remember hearing about a girl who challenged a pastor saying, I don't want to believe in God. Religion is just a way to control people. People are just serving God because they have some sort of a psychological need to serve God. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why you have a psychological need not to believe? So the first thing is that you need to determine the roots of your unbelief. The second one is to get around the right people. You need to get around people that you respect and who know the gospel, who can encourage your faith. You can't grow roses in the North Pole. If you want to grow roses, you have to go to a place, to a climate where roses grow. And in the same way, if you want to see your faith expand and encouraged and, and your faith grow, then you need to surround yourself with people who can encourage you in your journey, help you see Jesus more clearly. I would encourage you to join a community group to commit to being part of a local church community and have the kind of friends that can display Jesus to you. Number three, use faith building material and resources, gospel-centered, Christ-focused resources that will help you learn and grow in your faith. Be careful of preachers and teachers that point to you more than what they point to Jesus. Because if they're pointing to you and you begin to believe that it's all about your, your actions and your performance, the moment you fail, you'll fall back into doubt. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith and consume resources that help you to do that, you will grow in your belief and be strengthened in your faith. Number four, clarify the object of your faith. The more you know and see Jesus, remember it's all about Jesus. It's in Him that we, that we have our faith. It's because of Him that we are strengthened. As we behold Him, we are transformed into His image. The more you know and see Jesus, the more you'll be convinced of God's love for you. The more you know the finished work of the cross, the more you'll understand your right standing with God, the stronger your faith will be. So encourage yourself in this by reading the Bible, talking to God, receiving from the Holy Spirit. A little bit of faith in thick ice is far better than a lot of faith in thin ice. Finally, number five, we need to know truth and experience Jesus. The word know in the Hebrew context was more experiential than it was theoretical. In other words, it wasn't like reading a book about riding a bike, which is what a lot of people's faith consists of today. It's about reading something about something as opposed to actually doing that thing. But our faith is experiential. It's not about reading a book about a bike, but riding the bike itself and feeling what that feels like. And so it's not just about believing that there is a God, it's about having a personal relationship with Him through the person of Jesus. Psalm 34 verse 8 invites us to do this. God Himself says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in Him. Taste for yourself. Have the experience. Don't just go on second-hand information or 
blogs that you've read on the internet, actually see for yourself, taste and see that God is good and you will find yourself willing to trust in Him. Even if I don't have all the answers, I have tasted and I know that God is good, that He loves me. And so my faith is in this real person that I have come to know and the love that I believe He has for me. And when you have that kind of faith and experience that kind of love, it will be incredibly difficult for your faith to ever be shaken again. Gary Parker said this, he said, if faith never encounters doubt, if faith never struggles with error, if good never battles with evil, how can faith know its own power? In my own pilgrimage, if I have to choose between a faith that has stared doubt in the eyes and made it blink, or a naive faith that has never known the firing line of doubt, I will choose the former every time. And so the truth is, is that our doubt, as we wrestle with it, actually has the effect of deepening our faith, of proving our faith, of developing our faith. As we wrestle, as we struggle, we're led to search, to ask, to pray and to seek. And as we do so, we find that our faith actually grows. And so in many ways, doubt could be the ally of genuine faith. Whatever your position is, I want to encourage you. You don't have to figure it all out in one go. Just take the next step. Trust in God. Experience His love. Look to Jesus. Surround yourself with people that can encourage your faith. Consume the Word of God, the message of the finished work of the cross, and you will see your faith grow. We are standing with you. We are praying for you. And we believe God will speak to you in increasing measure in the days that are to come. Thank you for journeying with us. Again, if you have any questions, you can go ahead and message us, email us, put a comment in the comment section. We would love to answer some of those questions together. Next week, we have Professor David Block. Don't miss that. We're looking forward to it. We love you. We believe in you. And we will see you again next week.